The World Cup has come to a close, and there's a lot to unpack, more than I'm qualified to discuss. Don't worry, though. I brought friends who can. This week on Iceman and Coach. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another week of Iceman and Coach. It's me, the Iceman, Matt Frage. Coach is not here this week again. He's taking care of some family obligations, so hopefully we'll be able to get him for the last show of the new year. I said at the top of the show we are going to talk about the World Cup, and when Coach is not here, I generally like to talk about things that interest me that do not interest him. There was a lot to unpack in the World Cup. It came in with a lot of controversy. A lot of people were, I guess, made uncomfortable by a lot of the things that were surrounding the World Cup. And even though there were a lot of things that happened during the World Cup that we could continue to talk about, I actually want to get away from that stuff because I talked about it last week and talk about the action on the field. And I'm somebody who's a little bit more of a casual fan, although I've gotten into it a little bit more, but the nuances of the game really escape me. And so I have brought in some people who I know can not only educate myself, but educate you a little bit. And that are some friends, Noel and Julie. Ju guys, welcome to the show. And I really hope that you can help educate me a little bit and maybe we can have a good time. So welcome to the show and thanks for taking out the time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, Noel, I hear that your your knowledge of the the beautiful game is unprecedented in a lot of ways, and so I'm hopeful that you can enlighten me a little bit. But I want to start at the end, and I know a lot of people that a lot of things happen and all that. But the final, this is the way I viewed it. The final was great in the last ten minutes, and then everything that happened afterwards. But for a vast majority of the game, it was dominated by Argentina. France could not seem to break through. And then literally all hell broke loose in what created, I would say, a remarkable and probably unforgettable final that had it ended the way that the first 70-ish or 80-ish minutes went, maybe wouldn't have reached that level. I wanted to get your thoughts, both of you, on the final and sort of what you took away from it, result and all. I think you're definitely right where, for the most part, it was going in one direction. And even then, there wasn't a lot of action. I was surprised at how strong Argentina came out in the beginning. I was hoping France would win, um, but we'll touch on that a little bit more. So yeah, I was very surprised how dominant Argentina were. France, I think, were pretty surprised by that start. Um, then, like you said, once the 70-something minute hit, it changed from there. I've been seeing all over Twitter that people are saying this is one of the, maybe the best final of all time. And I do think that that second or that overtime 30 minutes and that last 10 to 15 do put it up there but i think people will kind of forget about that first 75 minutes which wasn't as exciting but i was surprised that argentina went up 2-0 it seemed pretty easy for them and i do think that ultimately they deserve to win the game i think it's interesting because france didn't have a shot until what noel like at least the 60th minute 70th minute yeah, I saw that they were the only team to not have had a shot in a World Cup final in the first half, and they weren't even close to it at any point, really. So it's interesting because they're ranked pretty high. Argentina is also ranked high. But you expect with two, I think going into it, Argentina was number two and France was number three in the rankings after Brazil. So you would think that these two squads would be able to figure it out. And Noel and I were talking during the the world cup and we were saying okay let's see what happens at halftime 
the French coach is going to figure it out. They're going to make some changes. They'll work around this defense. And they didn't. And so that, I think, was what was really surprising to me because you'll see sometimes the first half will go differently than you expect, and then strong teams will adjust and they'll come back. But that didn't really happen for France until very close to the end. I wondered to myself if maybe France had run out of the magic because I know that they came in with a lot of players injured that probably would have made the squad. I mean, they still had a great squad, no doubt, and making the final is nothing to sneeze at. But I did wonder if perhaps they finally reached the end of I don't want to say getting lucky, but obviously it takes a lot to overcome the kind of injuries. And in American sports, we see it all the time. No matter what happens on the field, if you have crucial injuries, it's very difficult to be good and stay consistent. But then it was like, you're right. France really could not get out of their own way. And Argentina was playing in a way that I hadn't really seen them play quite to that level. And against the squad that had looked really good for the most part, the entire tournament. And then everything just flipped. Now, while I agree with you, though, I think everybody is a prisoner of the moment. And this happens all the time where whatever we just saw is the greatest thing ever. And it takes a little bit of time, I think, to process that. Now, I think the three of us can probably do it a little bit faster. And I said, I'm sure that this is really up there, but not having seen every other one, I can't really say. But it just was a remarkable finish to the game, the way everything happened. And what was awesome about it was it was Messi and Mbappe basically going back and forth with each other over who was going to one up the other. And at the end of the day, each team would have been satisfied with our best player is going to take over this game. And I think that that was the best part for any casual fan. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I do want to give Argentina a lot of credit for the way they played um, because probably up to the semis when they beat Croatia pretty comfortably, I still didn't have them as a potential winner. I didn't think they were that good. I mean, they started off losing to Saudi Arabia and looking back, pretty much every big team lost. So or lost at some point. So I mean, it's not that big of a deal. But like you said, too, I think that they came out the best version of themselves came out to start. I think that caught France by surprise. I do think there is some truth that France probably is exhausted. I think their depth players is unmatched. I think they have the most, the deepest squad of players that they can pick. And I think their starting lineup reflected that, even missing Benzema, Pogba, Conte, a few other players that could be easily started. Um, their starting 11 was still the caliber of a World Cup final starting 11. I just think that they were really caught by surprise and then couldn't really figure it out. Um, I do think that the last 15 minutes were insane. I haven't screamed like that. Like I'm a big fan of the sport as in I watch a lot and absorb a lot of content, but I'm not the type of person to freak out or like scream, scream at the TV. But when Mbappe got that second goal, I couldn't believe it. I had walked out of the room to go do something else. And it's a sport that I feel comfortable walking out of the room in. It's not a sport where usually you see something so rapid. Now, when I walked out of the room, it was because I was called out of the room. Mbappe had just been awarded the PK. So I assumed it was going to be 2-1 when I turned on the television again. It was 2-2. And I frantically had to find out how in the hell did that happen? And when I saw it, if I had seen it live, I probably would have been squealing like a, a child as well. So I can't, I can't say that. Julie, what about you? Yeah, I think I think Noel hit on a good point, which was um, the squad for France is incredibly deep, and they had, you know, the arguably was the best player in the world with Benzema, given his past award, not on the field, and then injuries and sickness and who's going to play. So there was a lot of mystery for France leading up to it. But yeah, I mean, I'm happy for Messi. I'm glad he got the win. It was nice to see that. I know Noel was rooting for France. 
but yeah, it's it's nice to kind of see the passing of the torch with with Messi and then turning around with the younger French squad. It did kind of feel that way. I will say I wasn't sad to have seen Messi win at all, though. Especially once almost every single person in the world was rooting for him and celebrating him. I kind of joined that group pretty quickly. A lot of Argentina fans these days that just woke up an Argentina fan like yesterday, basically. <laughs> but Julie, you mentioned passing of the torch, and it's funny because for what 15 years or so we've had two generational players in Ronaldo and Messi and there's always been a debate over which one is better and you and I discussed this probably a year ago or a year and a half ago and you kind of gave an argument as to why each of them is great they each have their strengths about them and it seems as if maybe now Mbappe is going to sort of take that a little bit and he had an excellent World Cup like it's just incredible how well he played and not just in that final the whole way through basically and he was dominant and it seems as if he's poised to sort of take on the mantle that the other two were leaving behind. Is that too much praise for him? Or do you think that he can be that kind of generational player that is going to be a household name? I hope so. I think he has a lot of talent. He is incredibly fast and skilled. I think what I am not so sure of, which Noel can weigh in on, is how he elevates the rest of his team. And I'm not sure that he plays that kind of leadership role on his team. And you could see... Um, in the game that he was struggling, right? Like he couldn't figure out really what to do. So I'm not sure he's shown that he can succeed when there's adversity yet. But I think he I think he has the potential. Noel, what do you think? Well, I think if not him, then there really, there really isn't anyone else. Um, I do think that he will be. I don't know that he'll ever get to the level of Messi or Ronaldo because I, like I said, there's no one else that could just because of how great they were. Um, but I do think he will be the generational talent to succeed them. Um, Julia is right. There are still things that he needs to work on. He said himself that at, at PSG, he doesn't like being a striker, which they have him at. Um, for France, he does a lot better on the wing. So I think that's the way to make the most of his potential. I think that there are similar parallels between his career and Messi and Ronaldo. When they were his age, they weren't necessarily leaders either. Um, he's still so young. He was the best young player at the last World Cup at 19 and won it. I mean, this is a devastating loss for the team, but he's already a World Cup winner where Messi's 35 now and his World Cup won the first the first time. Ronaldo probably never will be at this point. So I think he's well on his way to being the next big player. I just don't know that he'll get to that level because I don't really think anyone is capable of doing so, at least not for a long yeah, time. Yeah, it's kind of a high bar to set. I, I, I admit that it's a high mm -hmm. bar to set, but... He is 23, and it feels like he's been around a lot longer. I was actually somewhat surprised that he was that young, given his pedigree up until this point. But at 23, would I have been able to handle that moment? And a guy like Messi, who's been around the block quite a bit and been in big games, and it's easier for him to probably lead his team with a little bit of poise. But when you're used to being ahead and you're used to being good, I mean, the announcers were talking about how he's accumulating goals playing subpar competition with PSG. And maybe he's used to being a front runner. And sometimes you need to have that loss that kind of elevates you to the next level. But I will say this about him, and my wife said this too, didn't look like he broke a sweat the entire game. It was unbelievable. I was like, is he that good and skilled that he just doesn't seem like he's trying that hard? Like, I don't understand how after two hours of, of playing that game, he looks like he just got out of the shower. Well, I think his youth is a big factor in that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he's, yeah, he's tireless. Um, I think he does need to work on working with his teammates, um, but I think he's best when he's on the wing, like I said. I don't know. I mean, hopefully, that if he continues at that, 
like, like that, where he's just playing for fun, basically, then he, he's going to go far, very, very far. And I think he will. I really do. And I think he's going to be the best player for a long time. Um, but time will tell to see how successful he will be compared to the high bar set before him. Julie, do you think he'll be a transcendent star? Because like Messi and Ronaldo are recognizable internationally, and maybe he already is, but they are so much more popular even beyond the sport that they play. I think so. And I think part of that is just the nature of when he really came in. Social media is so much bigger now. Although Ronaldo is in a, one of the top people followed on social media. So it's not like he... I think the top. The top, yeah. So I'm not sure he's... I'm not sure he missed that. But Mbappe is coming in at a time where that's acknowledged, understood, utilized a lot more. So I think he does have the opportunity to really be an international star like the others did. I think he has to leave Paris, though, because that league isn't as competitive as the Spanish league or the Premier League. And if he doesn't do that, then I don't think he's going to ever be really capable of getting close to where Ronaldo and Messi are. I think that's a must and probably sooner rather than later because he's he's 23 now. He needs to start doing more and you know, consistently because even in the Champions League where it's like the equivalent of the World Cup for club teams, he's not really doing much. So, Noel, can you expound on that a little bit? How does who a club, what, excuse me, what club they play for have to do with not just how they transcend the sport, but how could playing for a different club even elevate his game and his legacy instead of staying in Paris? Because it seems as if playing for a team that maybe has stiffer competition, kind of like playing in the SEC in college football, would make him a better player and possibly grow a little bit faster. Is that fair to say? And how does that work for a lot of other players as well. Yeah, I think it's definitely fair to say, and I think that's usually how it turns out. Um, so I'm in Europe and all over the world, every country has their own league. In the US, we have the MLS, which isn't anywhere near as competitive as most other leagues, most other top leagues, at least. England has kind of become the goal for most players, and a lot of that has to do with the global reach of the teams in England and of the revenue that they make. They usually even the worst teams there make a lot of money. Um, they teams that generally won't aren't as competitive in England can still sign pretty big players because that's a lot more exposure for them, and that's a stepping stone for a bigger club. In France, where he's at, PSG is really the only competitive team there. Um, so week in and week out, he's playing. His, his level of competition is pretty minimal. Um, he's still, he only re-signed because they offered him an unprecedented amount of money this past summer when his contract was going to expire. Um, I know in Spain, Real Madrid was really close to signing him and thought they signed him. That's another team where the best players choose to go. I think, I know, I mean, there's obviously debate like anything in sport, but that are, statistically, that's probably the most successful club team ever. Um, they've won the most Champions Leagues by far. That's where Cristiano Ronaldo really made his name after leaving Manchester United. The battle between Real Madrid and Messi at Barcelona is one of the greatest of all time. So when you're not competing against people who are anywhere close to your level, and there are good players in France, really good players, but not not at the level, at least not the number of players who are at the level as other countries. I think that's fair. I mean, when you're a generational player, it's hard to have other players around you consistently that are that good. So if you want to get better, you have to be surrounded. You you did say something that made me think that we were lucky in having two generational stars basically play each other for so long. 
I don't think we'll ever see anything like that for a long time because what are the chances that you would have something like that again? And what a joy it has been to be able to compare those two guys. And maybe the comparison is unfair because again, they have their strengths and weaknesses and they play for different clubs and are different players and all that. But to watch them play each other and to be able to have that debate in real time, not like LeBron and Michael Jordan, it's been pretty special. And I think that I took that for granted a little bit, not being as educated on the sport as you guys are. So I started watching soccer in 2005. So really at the beginning of both their careers, a little bit before Messi. So it's been a privilege being able to see both of them play for so long. Messi at 35 is still an incredible talent, one of the best in the world. Um, I mean, he, I think he single-handedly led Argentina to the World Cup. Um, the team did perform well together and they really played for their country and for him specifically, but he was able to carry them to lead basically every attack. Um, Ronaldo at his stage, he's a little older, I think he's 37, so he's not really doing that right now. But even up to two years ago, he was, he was scoring goals nonstop. Um, I like, I, we talked about it in Mbappe, I think will be the next player to be the best. I just don't know that like in any sport, really, it takes a while before you get someone else at that level. And it, it'll be interesting, too, because I think Ronaldo and Messi know that they've been compared so much. So you wonder how much that impacts their drive to be the best. Like, do they do extra to try to stay ahead? Are they trying this much harder because they want this title because they're trying to keep up? And if you don't, if you don't have that, not only in your club, but other star players, it might be it might be a little harder. Now, moving on from the final, because the final obviously is what has happened recently, but I think a lot happened in the entirety of the World Cup and starting in the group stage. And Noel, you mentioned that about Saudi Arabia beating Argentina. Now, Julie, I did text you and said they're not going to be that that country that doesn't make it, are they? And it wasn't them. You were right in your assessment that it's just a speed bump. But we saw a lot of big time countries who usually are pretty consistent duck out after the group stage. And is that just a matter of it's hard because it's every four years and these teams age out? I remember Italy a few years back, was it eight years ago, didn't make it. And that team was extremely old and they just got old. And Germany was the one that stuck out to me. I know Belgium didn't make it after having a great run in the last few years. And do you chalk that up to just, it's really tough competition? Did they not show up? What do you think happened with some of these countries? Because a lot of them stood out to a lot of the casual fans as, wow, I can't believe they're not in it anymore. Um, I, I think the group stage was interesting this time. There wasn't, in previous years, there's been some fairly easy groups, right? Like where there's the one really strong team and they you know they're gonna have a cakewalk, even maybe, a little bit further than the group stage or there's the group of death and there's usually one group of death in this one it was a little more even i would say where some of the groups were like okay like there's there's a couple good teams in here what's going to happen so i think part of your question is that and then part of it is just the timing of this world cup i think because it's in the middle of their seasons because of the weather change because of what's going on with illness in the world still I think that might have had a bigger impact than we thought and you saw a lot of teams having injuries the week or two before the World Cup you had some big players who got injured like Mane um, who I personally wish could have been there for Senegal Um, so these players were playing up until a week before with different clubs and different players and different coaches and then flying across the world and then playing in these. So I think that that had a bigger impact that I think the group stages were a little bit more unpredictable. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think the timing was big. It's unprecedented. Um, in England, they're going to go back to playing their normal club teams less, I guess, a week from today. Other countries are playing shortly after that, so they're not really getting any break. Um, I mean, also, these players really play for their country. A lot of them are not recognizable names. A lot of them kind of play in the leagues in their countries for their for their fans or local fans. So to get platform like the World Cup, they really have nothing to lose. Not much is expected for a lot of the countries. And by the time teams like France and Brazil got their last group game, they lost. But they were also playing players that probably wouldn't have started. They were arresting them for the next game. I do think Argentina losing Saudi Arabia was probably the biggest shock of the group. Belgium was a big shock. That one probably is a little bit more because the group has maybe passed that prime. Um, and those players are getting a little bit older. I think each situation is sort of unique. Um, I think Germany has been in a rebuild for a while. In Italy, who I generally would root for, hasn't been in the, in the World Cup for the past two. They haven't been able to qualify. So it's kind of just a cycle. There's a lot of factors in this one, though. And the heat is another thing. It was also really hot. So maybe that's why countries like Saudi Arabia were able to do a little bit better. Um, I'm not like a meteorologist, so I don't really know the heat in all over the world, but I would assume the Asian countries are a little bit more used to it this time of year. That's why almost all of them, except Qatar, made it out of the group. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a number of factors. But I do think a big one this time was the unprecedented nature of the timing. It's not something I'd actually considered, but uh, I guess you're right. If it's at a time that it normally wouldn't be, then they, they have to make a lot of adjustments. I think the weather had something to do with it. I think the average temp was like 85 or 90 degrees Fahrenheit, which is ridiculous. But it would have been, what, 120 had it been in the summertime? Now, my mm -hmm. brother-in-law was, was there for a year and said that the summer was like 116 every day. So there's no way that they could play. But there were some brutal conditions out there. But Julie, I think last year for the Euro, you had talked about that we saw for the first time since COVID about how these teams had to travel across just... The, you know, across the continent of Europe and how that had had a huge effect on the results of those games and how you were wondering how that was going to turn out for the World Cup. And it seems like your theory came true in that some of the travel to get over there, plus all the other logistical challenges and all the illnesses and everything, it caught up to a lot of teams. But I'm fascinated by the cycle because there are some countries that seems that, that seems as if they would be immune to that. Like Germany seems like a team they had been good for a while, but in Italy as well. And I guess it's very difficult for countries to even sustain anything. I mean, even Brazil, who is still looked at as some international power, hasn't been really, really good on that level for a long time. Yeah, so I think since winning the World Cup in 2006, Italy, in 2010, Spain, 2014, Germany, none of them have won a knockout game after they've made the group stage. So I think there's a curse for a lot of the recent former hosts. Um, France obviously bucked that this year, making it to the World Cup final again. Um, but it's hard because each country is different. Like these are big countries. These are the ones that we talked about the leagues being the most competitive. These are the ones that have the, the competitive games, the competitive players, generally the best infrastructure for minimizing cycles or for having more continuity and i think each country is sort of figuring it out on their own well a country that can't seem to figure it out at least in terms of <laughs> consistency would be the u.s and julie when you came on last time we kind of dipped into why we aren't better at this and why we're not able to field a better crop and this appearance by you all is because you sent me that meme about 
the two players it was Messi and I cannot remember the guy from Croatia he looks like he's about 45 years old but how they would not make it here because they would not be considered the best athletes and the U.S. came in they did not make it last time and Marika happened and everybody had high expectations for this team and they didn't quite live up to some of those expectations but I don't necessarily feel as if it's a massive disappointment so Julie I wanted to get your thoughts on the expectations coming in how the U.S. fared, and I guess start diving into what is likely in the future for this squad, given the fact that the next World Cup is going to be on home soil partially. Yeah, I think it's a it's a good question because the U.S. did really well in CONCACAF, but CONCACAF is traditionally the weakest region for World Cup qualifying. So we came in second after Canada, and I think all... Noel, am I right? Only the U.S. advanced from CONCACAF into group stage, out of group stage? And yeah, out of the groups, yeah, in the World Cup. So it's tough because we're playing weaker competition. There was a lot of hype around Pulisic, especially after scoring in a Champions League final and, you know, kind of building around this Captain America notion that we have, you know, we've got our Dempsey's and our Donovan's and we kind of do this around these big players. But aside from that, Freights, we talked about this last time. How many people can you name from the U.S. squad aside from him? And now you might be able to name a couple new ones. But they just don't get the same competition that other teams are getting. So it goes back to kind of what Noel said about PSG. If you're playing in the MLS, you're not playing the big name players. It's going to be harder to get better. Your skills are not going to be quite as sharp. So they're they're at a disadvantage in that level yeah i would agree i think this has been the best team that they've had in quite some time um i think there was a little bit too much hype of them qualifying for the world cup to begin with just because they didn't make it four years ago and really when the competition is countries with even less infrastructure than we have to be able to play the game that's not a very high bar um to julie's point i think the biggest hurdle for the U.S. is their lack of consistent competition. CONCACAF really isn't a competitive league. Mexico is a really good team. They're not really one of the contenders to usually win a World Cup, but they're a pretty competitive team. But they've fallen off as well. Canada's gotten a little better, so that's a little added competition for the U.S. But generally, they're not really playing highest quality play against the highest quality players or against the highest quality teams. So that's a big hurdle that they face consistently. Um, they are they were invited to the next Copa America, so that should be really good for them. A great learning experience. Overall, I think winning one one game out of the four that they played is pretty low. Generally would be kind of unsuccessful, but they did make it out of the group. I think that was a great learning curve for them. I think they had a few good performances by individual players. I thought they played pretty well against England. I was impressed with that result. Um, the Dutch are just a better team with better players. So having made it out of the group, I think that's about all that we could really have expected. Although I would have wanted a much better performance against the Dutch and to go off strong. Like if you're going to lose, go off swinging. But that wasn't really the case. I saw a lot of casual fans or what I consider casual fans really getting on the U.S. for how they played. And I kind of wonder if we have been spoiled in watching so many sports that are not I don't know, we're, we're good at so many things. And then this sport that people only seem to get into every four years, and obviously present company is excluded from that. But I'm saying the patriotism is ramped up whenever we make the World Cup. But then I feel as if a lot of casual fans, hot take alert, 
really don't understand what they're looking at. Everybody wanted Burhalter fired. Everybody thought Pulisic was terrible. And it's like, folks, just calm it down a little bit here. They played well given the circumstances. And if you don't understand that the U.S. is vastly inferior to a lot of these teams that are there, just given all the things you laid out, then you're going to be sorely disappointed. And we have a an issue getting getting talented players up to this level. But even if we got the best players that we could possibly field, not necessarily the best athletes, but the best players, would it really matter? Because they wouldn't be playing top tier competition. And it's just the way that that qualifying is set up. Like we can't play Spain or France in qualifying. It just doesn't work that way. I don't know. Am I being too harsh on a lot of these American fans or is there some truth to this? Well, maybe a little bit, but I definitely, there's definitely a lot of truth to it. I mean, we talked about the club level. It's the same, I guess, the country level. In Europe, they have the European Championships every two years in between the World Cup. And it's really almost every top country playing except the Argentinos, the Brazils, and the occasional great outstanding performer like Morocco. The U.S. doesn't really have that. The Copa America is going to be the closest thing, but I don't remember the last time they were invited. It certainly hasn't been for a while. Um, I mean, I think Pulisic is a great player, but he's not going to win you a World Cup. That's just how it is. I mean, there's not many that can. Messi did it, but we already talked enough about how there's not going to be another Messi for a while. And Mbappe probably will win another World Cup. I think there's a good chance of that, but Pulisic isn't going to do it on his own. I do think that there's a positive trend, though, for younger players that have started to go to Europe and play for European teams at a much younger age. For the longest time, a lot of American players were going to college, going rightly, I guess, at least a year or two before they started jumping in the MLS. And right now, they're not really, a lot of them aren't doing that anymore. They're taking the jump, taking the risk, going straight to Europe, playing in maybe not the top leagues, but the B tier leagues. So they are playing in more competitive competitions against better players. And I think that's only beneficial to the US. I mean, the more that progresses, the better that is for the U.S. as a whole. Um, I'm definitely on the fire Greg Berhalter bandwagon. I've been for a long time. I don't think he's a good coach at all. Um, I mean, he seems like a nice guy, but coach, I don't think so. There was that whole drama between him and Gio Reyna that seems to have been resolved. But I think that I would like an American coach to be in charge because most of the most of the countries are coached by um at least people who are familiar with the leagues, if not directly from there. So it would be positive for us to be led by an American coach, but not them. He's got a great shoe game. I'll give him that. I'll give him that. Yeah, he does. He does. I don't think Julie likes the rest of his outfit. But his shoes are on point. Yeah. I think he looks like someone's dad on the sideline. That's me. You know that, right? You just totally threw shade <laughs> at me because I call myself Kirkland Chic. I'm wearing a, a Costco sweatshirt and like $400 Jordan. So please. Don't give me the Berhalter treatment. Please don't. <laughs> oh, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, so one thing, Freights, that you mentioned about the casual observer is I'm not sure that Americans fully grasp the tournament style play, right? Like there is no tournament in the U.S. in major professional sports that has a group stage, right? So despite the fact that I do think the U.S. did not score a lot of goals, and so that is not good. What, what the U.S., what American fans don't understand is these teams that lose when they don't really need to win or when they go for a tie because a tie is one point versus a loss, which is, you know, like, so I think, 
I think Americans don't grasp that because we're looking for the Super Bowl win. Or even when we're going to playoffs for the other major sports, their series, you still have to win those games. So it's not, it's just a different system that, that people aren't familiar with. I'll also add to that, that I, I definitely understand bandwagoning, but I think we need even more because I was looking at the viewership numbers. The NFL, I guess the NFL Super Bowl is about 100 million viewers a year. For the average soccer game in the U.S., there is 15 million, or for the, the World Cup at least, there is 15 million on Fox, Telemundo. Um, I don't know what the final number is going to be, but I doubt it's much more than 20 million. That's a fraction of the 100 million that watch the Super Bowl. So if anything, I think we need more. I know the players have complained about, like Pulisic has said in the last qualification for the World Cup at one of the games, there were very few American supporters on home soil. And a lot, a lot of that goes um, to the fact that the U.S. obviously is very diverse and has a lot of people who are from Latin America and support those teams as well. But that hinders... I guess the excitement for the players and I think the World Cup being here is going to be very important and I think that'll be a big factor for them in the next World Cup but I, I do understand the issue that people have with bandwagon fans um, but yeah I think we need a, a few more of them at least for the World Cup. I just want to be clear I don't have an issue with bandwagon fans necessarily but if you're going to jump on the bandwagon right before the World Cup starts maybe don't all of a sudden come off as an aficionado and tell everybody how awful the team is. Here's, an, here's a, for instance, somebody that I know trashed the U.S. after their performance against England because they squandered an opportunity to, quote, embarrass our former oppressors, first of all. Like, stop. But also, I was incredibly impressed that they played that well against a squad that, in my view, was significantly superior to them. And we saw how well they played against France. Could have won that game. I know there was some questionable officiating calls in that game but they were a very very talented squad and so for the U.S. to come away with a tie that was a good result for them at that point in the tournament and you put some of your best players out there to try to win against Iran a team that's close to you in the rankings but that you do have a legitimate chance to beat Julia those are the strategy points you're talking about that just do not occur here we don't have to worry about goal differentials and other types of things that other sport like that that soccer does and so you're right i think it maybe is a foreign concept in how these tournaments work and usually you hear all the time how could they play for a tie i'm so tired of seeing zero zero doesn't necessarily mean that that game wasn't exciting i think was it morocco when they went through to the semis it was a zero zero tie and then there was pks that game was insane for a game that didn't have any goals in regulation or an extra time. And the crowd made that so, but the drama behind the result, and I think it was Spain that they beat in that game. And just that game had a lot of drama without a lot of scoring and sometimes the anticipation. And I think that's what we're not used to driving off of the anticipation of what could happen because it's so difficult when all of our major sports, it's very easy to score, or at least seems easy by comparison. Well, your point about England is is true because I don't think the average casual fan realizes how good it, the England team is right now. You know, they made the Euro finals, lost in PKs, so they were right up there with other teams. I think they were probably fifth in the rankings and the U.S. is in the 20s somewhere. So it, that game was actually, would have been a huge upset if the U.S. had won. And playing England to a tie was way better than I thought would happen. So some of that is, again, the just the casual fan not really understanding where the U.S. is in the soccer spectrum. 
their fans were actually furious with how well the U.S. played and how little or how badly England played. So I, I definitely understand your point, and it's true. But I, that also goes to show that there there are things that the players and the team can do, but the fans also need to be more involved and have stronger support. And I did like what I saw. I mean, all over, all over social media for the Netherlands game, people were lined up at like 5 a.m. at the bar. Like lines were crazy. So seeing more and more of that would only help the sport even more. I don't disagree. Now, let me ask you before we move on to 2026. So there was a lot of standout players and teams in this World Cup, and I think none of them are household names or recognizable. So for the both of you, Noel, you can go first. Who are some names that stood out that maybe will be the future of this sport, not just in America, obviously, but in a lot of other countries that perhaps will be defining future World Cups from here until maybe the end of this particular decade? So uh, I, I wrote the, the names down, um, and every player that I've thought of has been linked to English teams paying an insane amount of money for them. So for Argentina, Enzo Fernandez, he was the best young player of the tournament. Um, I think he's going to have an insane future, and it's going to start very, very soon. I mean, he started with the World Cup, but it's going to start at a club level very soon. I think Julian Alvarez... He got signed by Man City this past summer, hasn't played as much because he plays Holland, but I think he's going to have an incredible future, and I think the two of them are going to help carry the burden that Messi is going to, that Messi retiring will have, although that's going to be a much bigger blow than anyone can really recover from. I think Amber Bat from Morocco, he plays in Italy. He was incredible. I think the Morocco team as a whole, honestly, were incredible. They were the first African country to make it that far. Like Julie said earlier, some teams are expected to lose, and that alone is a World Cup win for them. I think Vardy Yol, who's a center back for Croatia, he didn't play well against Messi, but against everyone else, he had a great tournament. And then I think someone who didn't make it as far was Gokpo for the Netherlands. He's also been linked to a lot of the top clubs. So I think all of them will have great future. I think you're, uh, you're missing my England team, though. I think there's a lot of young players there that that we'll, we'll hear more about in the World Cup, like Rashford, Bellingham. Uh, we know how I feel about Jack Grealish, so we won't talk about him. But also Kai Havertz, I think, had a great World Cup, and I think he's only 23 as well, so we'll definitely see more of him. There, there's a lot of young talent. The Spanish team has some young people, Gabby. It's funny because you, you mentioned a lot of teams and a lot of players this time around, and this is a segue a little bit, but the PK situation, I know we talked earlier about Americans maybe not understanding what they're watching or maybe needing a little bit more, I guess, context as to how this works, but I know PK is, is a tough way to lose, but you talked about England, Julie, remember during the Euro, they had, I wouldn't say a meltdown during PKs at the end of the Euro, but obviously that's a tough way to lose. Spain, another tough way to lose with PKs, and obviously the final is that way. And I know there are people who feel, I'm not one of those people, just to be clear, that that's a terrible way for a game to be decided. But I feel like after everything that happens, two hours of play, the best team should still come out on top in that particular situation. And it's a very strategic thing. It's not just kick the ball into the net. There's a lot of strategy that goes into it. And I'm, my wife was kind of intrigued by, she's like, how does the goalie decide what he's going to do? And I said, that's the game. He doesn't get to leave that line and he's got to decide which way he's going to go. And it's very, very difficult. But even so, even if he doesn't guess, the player still has to get it accurately into the net, which sometimes doesn't happen. It's a really tough thing. How would you explain, Julie, to 
the fans that are listening now who maybe think that way about why that is a valid way to end a game based off of just everything that you know about the sport and your experiences. I'm sure you've had experiences doing that. Yeah, well, I would say first, at some point, the game has to end, right? Like, you can't just keep playing forever. These players are running miles and miles in a game. It's not like baseball where they can just keep playing for extra innings. It has to stop at some point. So then you put them in the PK situation. And I know there's arguments about if that's a great way to end it, but it it does have to end. And so you're looking to your goalie, you're hoping that he can save one or two. And then you're hoping that your players can at least hit it on frame, which didn't happen in the final of the, like there were people who missed it completely. And then there's also just the mental aspect of soccer that people don't think about. So you look at Harry Kane taking his PK and he's going against his goalie at Tottenham and knowing that this goalie has seen him take PKs how many times and knowing I did, I went this way this time, do I go this way? And even Mbappe, who took multiple PKs in the final, is he going to go the same way? Is he going to mix it up? Is he going to do this? So there's so much more mental strategy to it than I think a lot of people realize. Yeah, my wife is one of those. Yeah, my wife is one of those people. She's not a sports person, but is one of those people that thinks that that's a bad way to end the game. To end the game, and I mean, it's really what Julie said. The game has to end some way. And that's probably the fairest way to do it in football, right? Like, if I'm not a big football fan, American football fan, but if it's overtime and one team gets a touchdown, that ends the game right away, right? The other team doesn't even have a chance. So that way, it's like a balanced way, and there is a lot that goes into it. These teams practice it before games and I mean you can score a penalty during the game and that can win the game for you so and I don't really see why the penalty shootout can't really decide the game and it's a crazy amount of stress oh it is for fans like that for neutrals too like at that point like you you don't want anyone to miss you feel bad for everyone like though the players that miss those the amount of stress and pain and mental exhaustion that they're in it's rough. I swear, though, when a keeper makes a save, it's one of the most exhilarating moments in all of sports. Like, I was jumping out of my seat when the Argentina keeper made that save because it's so hard to do with everything that is going on. And it's one thing if you guess wrong and the player misses, but when you actually get your foot on it, like, and the save, I believe, Julie, was it during regulation or is it during extra time where? the keeper came out and got his leg on it. And I was like, I don't even know if anything can get better than what I just saw right there. Like that is incredible and just highest drama. I mean, it's drama of the highest order. So I don't know how somebody couldn't like it. I mean, I get it if you're not used to watching it, it seems cheesy, like, oh, just kick the ball into the net. It's so easy, but there's a lot of strategy that goes into it, I agree. So let's move on to 2026. I believe we're gonna be hitting North America. It's not all of America, but there are a lot of states on here. Is it ever possible to say that there are some early favorites in this World Cup? Do some countries look poised to have a very similar squad in four years, or is it just way too early to tell? There's a lot, there's too many factors. No, all to you first. Well, I think generally between World Cups, there's a lot of players that continue from one world cup to the next um, i mean anyone that's mid 30s it's, it's probably a little too late for them to go to the next one um i think the next one will probably have the same favorites as this one because my, mine are brazil france england and spain i think their teams were on the younger side this time and the core should probably be there for the next one 
I thought Messi would retire immediately after winning the World Cup, but he said that he's going to keep going. And knowing his talent, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a game changer at 39, four years from now. Um, but if he's out, I don't really see Argentina being as competitive. But those four, I think, are the four that are going to be the favorites going in. I'm trying to think of another big surprise. I think Netherlands and Portugal have talented squads. And there may be another Morocco who can get maybe even farther. But I think it's... For right now, it's going to be the same favorites. Yeah, I agree with Noel. I think Brazil, even though they didn't win the World Cup, is still ranked the number one team as of today. So you know that that speaks to their talent level. France has such that deep bench that we talked about. Although Benzema has said he's not playing international soccer anymore, but he wasn't even in this one. And then England, like we just talked about, their team is young. Spain is young. Those players are going to just keep getting better. So I think those four are really the ones we're going to see kind of lead the charge. I think some of the older ones we're going to see fade a little bit more. Belgium is going to fade a little bit more. Netherlands may fade a little bit more as they just get older and don't have those players. Croatia also could, if Luka Modric retires, which he might, uh, you know, they won't have the talent to continue these runs. Oh, man, there's a lot to look forward to. But um, where do you guys think the final should be played? Julie, I know you kind of opine that it should be in the nation's capital selfishly because you wanted to be able to sort of hop, skip and jump over there. But doesn't look like the nation's capital or any of our nearing cities are even on the list. I think New York is the closest. And I believe I said New York would be where the final would be played or L.A. But where do you guys think it should be played? And should it be played in a city that's prominent, that's got the allure like a New York or should it be somewhere where we can have the most people as possible to get the most exposure from a fan perspective? I think right now what they're saying is the leading contender is Dallas. I wouldn't have been surprised with New York. I wouldn't have been surprised with Atlanta because of the last World Cup. But yeah, I think I think Dallas is going to get it. And, you know, Noel can probably explain a little bit more why that is. But I do wish it was on the East Coast. <laughs> I think it's just the biggest stadium. I wouldn't. I would think that they'd want the highest revenue, and in Cowboys game tickets are insanely expensive. I mean, most football, most NFL games are, but especially Cowboys. Um, I think they're the richest franchise, right? So in the world of any sport, so there is an attraction there. But I think it has to be in New York, New Jersey. Like I don't really think there's any other option, honestly. I I kind of agree because New York, the Big Apple, I would feel as if that's something internationally known and. I mean, yes, mm -hmm. Dallas is known to people here, but Jerry Jones isn't some international star. New York City, the Statue of Liberty, that's all international. That would certainly be a hell of a lot easier to get to than anything else. But I think it's exciting, but I do wonder too, and this is you know sort of a off topic, but with it being here or being predominantly here, does that already put a very, very high bar on the US squad to make it and do well? Because I know a lot of people are already looking to 2026 and thinking this could be where the U.S. makes its noise. But unless some of the factors change that we already talked about, it's going to be very difficult for them to push through. So I, it hasn't been confirmed, but as a host, I think that it's widely expected they'll automatically qualify, which would have been a massive scandal if they didn't otherwise. But I think that will have that bar will have been met at least. Um, I do think their expectations will be higher than this past World Cup. Um, I do think the fans will give them some additional support that they'll definitely need. Um, they did have a very, very young squad at this World Cup. Um, so four years from now, three and a half years from now, they're going to be 
a lot of them are going to be in their prime, so there's not really any more excuse. So it's now or at that point, it'll be now or, or never for them. So I do. I, I'm personally more hopeful at the next for the next World Cup than this one. Um, I mean, I don't think they're going to win it. I don't know that I'll ever see them win it. But I, with the current roster, I think there's a lot of positives and hope surrounding them. Noel, do you think as a host that we'll get invited to more challenging friendlies? So, I mean, in the European Championship, they don't invite anyone from the outside. It's just the European countries. I think it's a big deal that the U.S. is invited to the Copa America. So they'll play Brazil. I mean, the, I guess they haven't decided the, the who's going to play who yet, but they have the potential to play Brazil competitively, to play Argentina competitively. South America also has pretty good countries like Uruguay, Chile, Colombia. Ecuador is pretty good at the World Cup. So they have the chance to play competition, to play really top competition better than what they're used to. Um, they're going to have to use that as a big springboard. Hopefully they play better friendlies, but friendlies are kind of a joke. Honestly, they're just for a way for the team to build cohesion more than anything and for the coach to really test a million different options. So I don't think that's going to help much, but I do think the Copa, them playing in the Copa America will be helpful, assuming they perform pretty well. <laughs> How do these things work? You said you said that it's by invite. And is there a reason why so many of these continents keep to their own continent when maybe it would help the game in terms of there being a larger pool internationally of teams where you could place different competition? Because if the U.S. needs to be invited and it's unprecedented that they would be, it seems almost impossible for them to be able to play any real competition outside of a almost a once in a lifetime invite to the Copa, as you, as you mentioned. So unfortunately, that's kind of just how it is. I mean, they have the World Cup every four years. And because of that, they, so they have the World Cup every four years. And generally the two years in between the World Cups, each continent has its own mini continental cup. So South America has its own uh, cup, but South America has a small number of countries in the continent. So they usually invite one or two countries to join the competition. I think this past one, they invited Qatar as the host of the World Cup. I'm assuming that's why they're inviting the US. Um, I know they've invited other countries in the past, like Japan. I don't really know exactly how they figured that out. In Europe, it's really just the European countries, but there's so many of them that they have to qualify just to even get, to get there in the first place. Um, I think they're kind of trying to, well, there's talk about making the World Cup every two years. I don't think that's going to happen. But if that happened, then maybe we'd see the U.S. win at some point. But that kind of would devalue it. Um, I don't know. It's just geographically, they're not in a position where they're close to the most competitive countries, with the players with the best infrastructure. So I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. I don't know if we'll ever get one. They better not make they better not make it every two years. That would devalue it. I think the whole point of why it's so difficult, and I believe only what Argentina became, or there was only eight countries that have ever won the World Cup total. And that's astounding if you think about the long history of it. And when you hear that, you think, whoa. And it's like, well, there has been what, five different ones in the last century? The, I mean, excuse me, the la this century. But if you think about the long history, a lot of repeat winners. So it's difficult and the reason why is because it's every four years and if we want to be better we have to learn how to be better without or within the margins of what we have to deal with and 
it's not an easy sport. So for you, all you U.S. fans, it's okay that we're not good at this and we may never be as good as you want. There's a lot of other sports that we dominate in that maybe you'd care less about, but just go to the Olympics for that kind of domination because we do really well at a lot of these other sports that nobody's ever heard of or only cares about every four years. But it was really exciting for me. But before we get out of here, I want to hear from each of you. Julie, you can start. Any parting thoughts on this World Cup and things that maybe we haven't touched on that you want the listeners to know? I think it'll just be interesting to see how technology continues to change the game. So I'm interested in seeing how that evolves. Like we saw in this one that the VAR really acted as another referee, right? Like people were off by slight inches, body parts, even fouls were called back by technology or given, cards given. So I think as we move towards that, I'm interested to see how that changes the game. So that would be my kind of one thing that was different this year and will continue to evolve. I think the biggest thing I noticed was that they added a bunch of more time at the end. That was kind of a pilot program that FIFA was implementing. So for people complaining about PKs, they'll have a little bit of extra time in the game. And I know they're trying to make the games longer and I don't. there's not really any other way to do it. So they've started to implement that. Um, I was actually really surprised by how exciting the World Cup was. I thought the last World Cup was a little dry, not as many surprises. This one was just generally more fun. Obviously, there was a lot of controversy we didn't get to talk about surrounding the hosts. Um, like People in FIFA were arrested, went to jail for even Qatar getting the World Cup. There was a lot of corruption. But the play itself was exciting. Um, I don't know that I'd want another one in the winter, but... I thought I had a good time. I, I, it was it exceeded my expectations, I would say. Certainly did for me. And if you ever want to talk about those controversies, I'm certainly open to it. I made it just about the sport today, but I did touch on that last week when I monologued a little bit about those topics. And it's a lot of nuance there and a lot of things that people maybe turn a blind eye to just to enjoy the sport. And if that's what you want to do, no shade from me, but sometimes we have to embrace the uncomfortable truths in sports. Well, I agreed. I thought that it... It exceeded my expectations. I wasn't able to watch as much of it as I would have liked, but what I did catch was exciting enough. And for me, the final certainly took it to a new level. Anybody who is listening, if you want to give your comments or thoughts on the World Cup, mattysmedia at gmail.com is the email to do so. Let me know if you loved it, hate it, were indifferent about it, or if you just want to see America kick some ass. I want you to support the Pub Time Podcast, which is where the coach usually hangs out every Thursday. He will be back before the new year. Hopefully we can close this new year outright. Check out MattyIceMedia.com for all the other podcasts that we have on this network, including Fire Footwear, a sneaker podcast that I also host amongst others. Julie, Noel, you guys have been great. I hope that you enjoy the buildup to the next World Cup. Thank you for taking out the time. And everybody, we'll see you next week. This is Iceman and Coach. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on the Iceman and Coach Sports Show are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. The Iceman and Coach Sports Show is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.